Good evening. Today's second Bible reading comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 to 28, and you can find that on page 1,239 of the Church Bible. Chapter 5, verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you, who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers, warn those who are idle. Encourage the timid. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not put out the Spirit's fire. Do not treat prophecies with contempt. Test everything, hold on to the good, avoid every kind of evil. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through, May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I charge you before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This is God's word. Uh, good evening, friends. Uh, on the off chance you came in before we had a chance to do this earlier, while I set up, why don't you turn to the person around about you, in front, behind, shake hands, say hello, give a greeting of some kind, your choice, and then we'll get together. Okay, uh, as Chris scurries back to his seat, and our other elders too, uh, hello again. Uh, you should have an outline, which I hope will be helpful, if nothing else is a kind of timepiece. For where we're up to, it would be great to have 1 Thessalonians open in front of you uh, as we come to the end of the book. And and I want to say tonight, we're going to be speaking uh, explicitly and directly to Christians, uh, to brothers and sisters in Christ, as Paul does, as as the book ends as well. Um, But if you're here and you're not a Christian, first of all, it's wonderful, we're glad you're here, church is for you too, thank you for being here. But um, I want to say that doesn't mean what I'm saying is not for you. What I'm hoping, if you're here and you're not a Christian, if you're not yet giving your life to Jesus, accepted his death for you, that what you're going to see is as an insight into the Christian world and Christian community and I hope in a way that attracts you to it and therefore attracts you to the Jesus uh, that we love and serve. I guess I want to say that, make that clear up front. But let's pray and then we'll have a look at that part of God's word together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your good word to us. Uh, We thank you that you tell us what we need to know that we might live for you and wait for your son. And we pray these things uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, friends, as we, as we start off, I want to ask a question. The question is this. Uh, what are you like at waiting? Uh, how patient are you uh, when you have to wait? You know, maybe in the car or on the phone or maybe in the first song as you waited for the lyrics to come up on the screen. Uh, it's pretty well established in my house that I'm the uh, likes-to-be-on-time uh, member of the family. 
uh, with likes being a pretty significant uh, understatement if you've ever uh, been in the car with us when we're running late uh, for church and, and I've bequeathed that to Emily as well. I'm sorry about that, Em. Um, but today I want to ask you, uh, what do you like at waiting? Uh, and tonight we're going to find out, here's how. We're going to do a little pop quiz, a little self-assessment. I'm going to give you a couple of scenarios, a few options, and together we'll discover what you're like at waiting. You ready? Ashley's ready, she's nodding her head. Scenario one, you're at the supermarket. You're lined up in your, with your trolley in the line for the checkout and at the front of a very, very long line, you notice an extended conversation happening between the shopper at the front and the checkout operator. And this comes complete with backslapping and laughing and oh you. How do you respond? Do you A, this issue, you are happy. You believe in community. In fact, you think of leaving the ice cream melting there in your trolley and going up and joining them. That's a, I'm guessing that's a mild possibility. Or B, you stay where you are and kind of seething to yourself. You start to think of a few things you'd like to say to the checkout operator when it's your turn to get up there. Or C, completely fed up, you kind of take a few steps back and then with a run up, do you build up a little momentum? and try to drive your trolley between the other persons and the checkout. What do you like at waiting? Scenario two. You're in the crowd of doctor's surgery. You've been there for over an hour. They assured you it was just going to be five minutes. Nobody seems to be moving. How do you respond? Do you A... Thank the Lord that you can finally catch up on that 1992 Reader's Digest. You thought you were never going to get to it. There it is. Now's your chance. Do you be? Make yourself hyperventilate (laughs) and try to get a little attention. Or C, do you announce loudly to the nurse at the desk that you have a highly contagious, indeed fatal rash and you try to empty the waiting room? What do you like at waiting? Scenario three much more serious this time. You hear the gospel of Jesus, a gospel that promises he will return as king, as judge, from our first reading tonight, as rescuer from wrath. How do you respond? Do you A, totally ignore what you heard and go on living as normal? Do you B, Respond immediately, but in time treat it more like a dot way off in the distance than a real present possibility. Or do you see, completely reorient your life so that every day is lived in the light of Jesus' return? Friends, what are you like at waiting The reason that I ask is because I don't know if you've noticed but that's the question that God has been asking with every chapter of this letter to us. We've been reading 1 Thessalonians now for six or seven weeks and in every chapter God's been asking what are you like at waiting? What are you like at waiting for Jesus' certain return? As you deal with death, as you live your life, as you speak of him, as you consider your work or your sex or even your persecution because you follow him, what do you like at waiting? 
for Jesus' certain return. See, I don't know if you noticed this in the last few weeks I've been reading this or even across the whole series, but at the end of every single chapter in 1 Thessalonians, Paul refers to the return of Jesus. Did you notice that? In fact, why don't you grab your Bible there now, if you haven't got one open, grab one open and flick through the letter right now or get your little app on the phone and see it for yourself. Have a look there, do you see, in chapter 1, verse 10, we had it read for us earlier, waiting for the Lord Jesus' return. Then again, chapter 2, verse 14, end of chapter 2. Chapter 3, verse 13, end of chapter 3. Chapter 4, verse 16, end of chapter 4. Chapter 5, verse 1 to 10, and then again today in verse 23, you see the return of Jesus is the reference point for the whole of this letter. And why? Well, I take this because God wants it to be, along with Jesus' death and resurrection, the reference point for the whole of our Christian lives. In our evangelism, chapter 1. In our persecution, chapter 2. In our ministry, chapter 3. In our work, sex, death, life, chapter 4 and chapter 5. And here, as Paul comes to the climax of his letter, to the last thing that he wants us to know, indeed the first thing you need to know if you're going to do all the rest, Paul says, wait well. For Jesus' return. Where? In church. Among this group of pardoned, precious people. This is Paul ends his letter. He comes to that thing, he comes to that part which we need to do if we're to do all the rest. He comes to that part which is the foundation for everything else he said before, which will fuel everything else he said before. The part that if you don't get right, to be honest, all the rest will fall down like a stack of cards. Paul says, here, especially here, wait well for Jesus' return. How? How do you do it? Well, first of all, as it says in your outlines, you do it by respecting your leaders in contrast to every Australian anti-authoritarian inclination, respect your leaders. In contrast to what we so often hear in the media or from our friends about politicians or teachers or bosses at work, respect your leaders. In contrast to what we're so often tempted to do right here in church, Paul says, respect your church leaders. Verse 12, have a look, verse 12. Now we ask you, brothers, to respect those who work hard among you and who are over you in the Lord and who admonish you. Now, I remember this uh, one episode of uh, one of my favourite old TV shows, The West Wing, uh, where the vice president says in a kind of important American vice presidential accent, uh, do you know what a leader is with no followers? It's my American vice president accent. He's just a man taking a walk. So, I know it's very profound, but, but here's my point. Christian leaders should never be made to feel like that by the people they love and lead. They should never be made to feel isolated or alone or, or like we're not really with them. They should never have to wonder and worry about what we really say when they're not in the room. Even do you notice, 
when in their work for God, for us, they take us aside and admonish us. In other words, correct us and rebuke us. Did you see it there in the verses? Now, I don't know about you, but but I've got to say, for me, when someone takes me aside and rebukes me, the first thing I'm thinking is not usually, respect, yes, let's do this. But Paul says it should be because they do that. Because they do that thing that's so very hard to do. Because they do that thing that's so very, very needed. If you and I are to stick with Jesus and grow in Jesus, Paul says, respect your leaders. Indeed, verse 13, hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And so let me ask you, as I ask myself, how are you going with this? When it comes to respecting your leaders, are you waiting well for Jesus' return among his people? You know, as you think about your leaders and you do your little silent assessment on the drive home from church, as you speak about your leaders when they aren't in the room, as you respond to their correction when in love they correct you, are you waiting well for Jesus' return among his people? Because friends, I want to say, if you are, praise God and keep doing it. Because I can tell you, as someone who's been in churches where it's both happened and hasn't happened, where the leaders have been respected and disrespected, I can tell you it makes a massive difference both to the leaders, to the church and to our witness to the eyes of a watching world. Paul says, while you wait for Jesus' return, respect your leaders. And he also says, you notice there, verse 14, care for each other. And we urge you... Brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle, encourage the timid, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. Now, I don't know about you, but there are two things I find particularly striking in these verses, and I suspect it's because they cut so sharply against the culture that I'm used to. And the first is how entirely other person-centred these verses are. Did you notice? Every single command is for the sake of someone else. Do you see? Every single instruction is for someone else's good. It's a great temptation, isn't it, when we come to our church gatherings to come in order to get. To get fed, to get taught, get encouraged, get challenged. And, And of course, they're great things. We want them to happen. I hope they happen. But you notice that's not what Paul commands. To gather in order to get. No, what Paul commands, what what God commands, is that we gather in order to give. That we gather in order to serve. And indeed, I think serve by our speaking. See, just as Jesus came not to be served but to serve, so we are to come for the very same reason. Even, can I say, when it's uncomfortable or difficult, when it will involve warning when it will involve saying what's needed rather than what's wanted, when it will involve time and effort and patience, when you know inside that your patience is running out, gather in order to give, Paul says. See, it strikes me how other person-centred these verses are. 
And it strikes me how, how everyone's involved again. Did you notice? Everyone's expected to be involved in serving one another. After all, who is it, you see, though, who's commanded to do the warning? The encouraging, the helping, verse 14, do you notice? It's not the leaders. It's the brothers and sisters. In other words, it's all of us if we are Christian. Again, it's all so tempting, isn't it, to think different. You, know, you find someone, someone comes up to you and you find someone, they're caught in sin. What do you do? Well, you go get Chris. If someone comes up to you after church and they're in need of encouragement, what do you do? Well, you go get John. There's something to be organised, something to be done. What do you do? You call up your growth group leader. After all, it's their job. Isn't it? That's what we pay for. Well, we don't pay growth group leaders. We could pay growth group leaders. But what do we pay them for? But no, Paul says, it's not just their job. It's our job too. You see, it turns out, and I wonder if you knew this, the whole Christianity thing, it's not a spectator sport. You know, with the leaders out on the field and us up in the bleachers. Go, pastor. Give me a pee, pee. <laughs> now, this is a team sport and we all have a role to play. And in particular, we all have a role to play in helping one another stay with Christ and grow in Christ. It's a bit like, for me, that Hollywood picture of the the elite armed forces, you know, the one where where nobody gets left behind. We're all responsible for one another. We watched one of those cheesy American football ones where they all stood up, I love you guys, no, I love you guys. It absolutely, but that's what it's like. In fact, even in the most basic Christian godliness, did you see, like turning the other cheek there, verse 15, like non-retaliation in the footsteps of Jesus. I'm responsible for you, you're responsible for me. After all, again, did you notice, it doesn't say make sure that you don't pay back wrong for wrong, does it? Instead, what does it say? Make sure nobody does. Make sure among yourselves that none of you do by not egging them on, by not cheering, by not, he did wrong to you, yes, you should get him. But instead by pointing them, by you pointing me, me pointing you to Jesus, to his forgiveness of us and his example to us. Do you see it there? Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always try to be kind to each other and to everyone else. So again, friends, let me ask, how are you going with this? When it comes to caring for each other, are you waiting well for Jesus' return among God's people? Is there someone who you know you could warn or you could encourage or you could be patient with? Is there someone who you know who you could help not pay back wrong for wrong but instead to be kind to everyone? But you see, friends, if there is and if you do it, I want to say it is the best thing you can do for them. Friends, there is nothing better you can do for someone else than first to help them trust in Jesus and then to help them grow in Jesus. There's nothing better you can do for someone than first to help them come to Jesus and then to help them stay with Jesus and become more like him. How do you wait well for Jesus' return in church? 
You do it, Paul says, by respecting your leaders, by caring for each other and by enjoying your dependence on God, by enjoying his will for you, by enjoying his word to you, by enjoying the fact that it's he who will keep you for the day that Jesus returns. Lots of people, of course, have lots of questions about God's will for their life, especially at university where I work, you hear it all the time. If only I knew what God wanted. If only I knew his will for me, then I'm sure that I would do it. Well, guess what? Here it is. Clear as crystal, black and white. Just see verse 16. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Problem solved. <laughs> but it's not as easy as it is. See, I wonder, I wonder what you first feel as you hear those commands or perhaps as you read them, particularly if you're going through a hard time right now because I have to admit that when I first read these, um, my first response was a kind of guilt. Uh, my first response was a kind of burdened. Uh, I mean, do you know what you're asking here, God? I mean, do you have any idea how hard this is? Joyful always. Thanks in all, I mean, as if my life wasn't already hard enough. Now you want me, if, if you like, to whistle while I work. Now you want me to whistle while I hurt. But friends, I want to say, if, if like me, that's you, then, then I want you to look again at these verses and just, just see how good they are. Look again at what God wants for you in Christ Jesus and see how good it is. You see, unlike any other boss that you have ever had, in fact, unlike any other friend that you have ever had, unlike any of those that we see right now in power in our world who seem, let's be honest, to only want nothing for you but everything from you, unlike all those awful depictions of God that are so often paraded out in our media as if God's some stern-faced, arm-crossed, self-serving, taking God, what does God want? Always, continually, in all circumstances, he wants you to rejoice in him and speak to him and give thanks to him for all that he has and will do for you. And friends, I want to say too, these commands can be obeyed. After all, time and time again, you hear of Christians in the worst circumstances who know this will for their lives. Have you heard them? Christians like Paul, by the way, who, who was being persecuted as he wrote this letter. Christians like the Thessalonians, by the way, who were being persecuted as they read this letter. Christians like the so many others that we read of or hear or, or even meet who, who in the deepest hurts and the darkest places know this will for their life, who can rejoice in God. And we look on, don't we, and we think, how? How could you, I mean, how could they know this? I mean, I could never do that. We, we think you could never do that. But here's the thing. In Christ Jesus, you can. How? 
Well, first, I want to say by simply obeying this command to do it. I know that seems a bit strange, but, but by looking daily for reasons to give him thanks and then coming to him daily in prayer by deliberately seeking your joy in him and not in all the other places that are paraded out in front of us and then realising that each of those actually feeds the other. As you see the reasons you have to thank in him, you much more naturally go to him in prayer and then as you go to him in prayer, you find your joy in him and of course you find your joy in him and so you want to give him thanks and then you go to him in prayer. And you second, second, I take it, the way you do this is well, it's by doing the thing that Paul commands next, do you see it? By carefully listening to him through his spirit, through his word and through his people. As he speaks to him in the first place, of course, in the Bible, in his personal, powerful, trustworthy word to you. And in the word that Paul will command there, you see verse 27, to be read to all the brothers, all the brothers and sisters. As one famous Christian once wrote, happy is the person who possesses a Bible. And he goes on, happier still is the one who reads it. And so read it. Listen carefully as he speaks to you in his word. But, but also, and I think this is the emphasis of these verses, especially in that word prophecies there, verse 20, listen carefully as he speaks to you through fellow believers. As a brother or sister does, what, what in fact he, Paul's already commanded back in verse 14 and, and applies God's word specifically to you, perhaps even just in general conversation. Or, or perhaps beyond God's word as some, some brother or sister comes to you with some sense of God's will for your life. You know, as lives are shared and God's word is shared and, and we suggest God's will to each other, well then verse 19, here it is, do not put out the Spirit's fire. Don't treat those prophecies with contempt. Instead, test everything, hold on to the good, avoid every kind of evil. It's a big cause of argument and conjecture, but I think in these verses, it's best to understand prophecies, and I'm happy to have a conversation, I'm expecting it. It's best to understand prophecy as God's word and will mediated through another person. God's word and will communicated through another person. Now, most commonly, I expect that will be this word that's mediated. This word spoken and and specifically applied. Whether it's that or whether it's some other particular will given to them to be passed on to you, whenever someone comes to you claiming to know God's word or will for your life, then Paul says, on the one hand, don't be too quick to reject And on the other, don't be too quick to accept. Instead, like someone, if you're like panning for gold, if you've ever been to Sovereign Hill, that's the closest I've ever come, searching for treasure, test it. Hold what they say up to the light. Hold what they say up to what you know to be true and good and from God. And, And if it seems that it is too, then listen carefully to it. And finally, Do it all knowing that it's God who will keep you for the day that Jesus returns. It's so important. Do it knowing that it's God who will keep you for the day that Jesus returns. It's him who will hold you in his palm until the very end. As one of my favourite Christian children's songs sings, and I'm not going to sing it, uh, it says this, 
Hang on to Jesus. Hold on to the truth. Hang on to Jesus no matter what you do. Hang on to Jesus. He loves his children so. And here it comes. His grip is strong. So just hang on. He'll never let you go. I imagine some massive, bulking, sort of muscle band father and some incy bincy, which Owen and anyway, some incy little baby. His grip is strong. So just hang on. He'll never let you go. And see, that's how Paul ends too, isn't it? Verse 23. May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. So again, friends, let me ask you for the very last time, how are you going with this? When it comes to enjoying your dependence on God, are you waiting well for Jesus' return here among his people? Because you see, God wants you to for the sake of everything else he said in this letter, for the sake of your good and his glory, he wants you to wait well for Jesus' return among his people. He wants you to know that he has you, if you are his, in his hand. He wants you to listen to him in his word through his people and he wants you to rejoice in him and speak to him and give thanks to him for all that he's given you. Well, uh, we started with a question, a couple of scenarios. Let's end in the very same way. Here it comes. What do you like at waiting? Scenario four. You've been reminded from God's word of what it means to wait well for Jesus' return here in church. How do you respond? Do you A... Totally ignore what you've heard and again go on living as normal. Do you think right now, yes, B, here it comes, that's good. But by tomorrow, do you forget what you've heard? Or C, do you commit again or perhaps for the very first time to respecting your leaders, caring for each other and enjoying your dependence on God? Friends, what are you like at waiting? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Jesus' sure and certain return. We thank you so much that he is coming back. We thank you so very much, our Father, that you will keep those who are yours until that day. We pray, Father, until that day you would help us wait well for Jesus' return. And we pray that that would start here and from here it would fuel all the rest of our waiting and all the other areas of life. Please, our Father, help us respect our leaders. We pray too they would work hard for us. We pray, Father, you'd help us care well for one another and be deliberate and even do the hard thing for the sake of the person beside us. And our Father, we pray that we would enjoy our dependence on you, speaking to you, listening to you and finding our joy in you. And all this we pray for Jesus' sake. Amen.